morning. Hello. My name's Ken. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Um, we, uh, this, this semester, are looking at the book of Job. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Job, uh, or um, even if you have been here and you've been in the series with us, um, it's a good refresher for you. Um, Job is one of the oldest books of the Old Testament, um, so it's one of the oldest books in the entire Bible. Uh, and it's a story of this dude, uh, this really, really solid dude. Dave, uh, Rick uh, taught um, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, our first sermon on Job and talked about um, Job's character, the quality of his character. Um, the scripture says he was blameless, he was upright, he feared God, and he turned away from evil. Um, he just was a really solid, really solid dude. Uh, he uh, was a great example, and it serves as a great example for us in the way that God is calling us to live through, um, even before his suffering, he's a great example of, uh, for us, and then even in his suffering, of course, he's a great example for us. So Satan then comes to God uh, in the first chapter of Job and challenges Job's integrity. He says, he tells God, it's only because uh, you've given Job everything that he, uh, and he has this character or integrity or, or, or is even staying true and um, walking with you. So God allows and invites Satan to take everything away from Job. Uh, and so Job does lose literally everything. All of his, everything he owns, he owned, uh, there's this list of things that he owns in the, in the first couple verses of Job, uh, the first chapter of Job. Uh, so he loses all of those things and all of his children to two terrorist attacks and two natural disasters. And he grieves and he worships, we see, the scripture says. So then Satan goes back to God, says, well, look, you know, he uh, still has his life and his health. Um, surely uh, he still uh, is going to stay true to you, God, because um, he still has his health and his life. And um, he, surely if he loses his health, uh, he, there is no way he will stay true to you. He'll curse you uh, and turn his back on you. So God says, do whatever you want, Satan, but you have to spare his life. Uh, you can't take his life from him. God says. So uh, verse 7 of chapter 2 says, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Job replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And Rick uh, talked about that day and talked specifically a couple of weeks ago about undeserved suffering and that it forces us to face grief, forces us to face temptation, and it forces us to face God. And this really is why we want to look at the book of Job because whether you are suffering now or whether you are still trying to figure out what to do with the pain from your past or you haven't yet suffered but will likely experience sorrow in the future, we want, all of us want to become men and women who have a sustaining faith over the course of our lifetime. Job encourages us to take into our hearts the disappointments and the sorrows that come our way. Not to avoid them, to go around them, to, or to numb them, but to honestly and to directly engage with the suffering and the difficulties of life and learn to navigate them by holding on to the integrity of our faith no matter how, how hard it might be. It's the same call that James encourages us to in the New Testament. James chapter 5, he says, Establish your hearts. 
Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So our goal is neither to explain away the suffering of the world on the one hand or to explain away the goodness of God on the other. Kelly Capic writes, instead, we continue on a journey of faith an encounter with a living God who is more holy than we can imagine and more near than we dare believe. This is a story of how things, uh, this is a story of how those who know this Lord can live amid the rubble, the dark questions, and the daunting fears, and yet remain a creature living with hope in a broken world. This world filled with beauty and tears, with laughter and and ache. So Rick said this, the first week uh, when we started into Job, and I think it's really important for us to understand week to week as we are in the book of Job. The book of Job is not there to make us sad. When you read the book of Job, you will be sad if you engage with the story at all. But the book of Job is not there to make us sad, but to acknowledge the sadness that is there. I think more often than not, we try to avoid sadness in our life, and we don't want to acknowledge the sadness because that's hard, and so we avoid that, and the book of Job helps us come face-to-face with it. Last week, Rob walked us through Job's initial lament. So all of these bad things happened to him. These terrible tragedies happened to him. I think I missed the second tragedy. So, terrorists, told you about that, right? Terrorists, natural, uh, natural disasters, Wiped out, his, wiped out his family and all the things he owned. And then Satan says, like, I want to I wanna take away his health. So he gives him those sores, right? So we, yeah, we, we read that. We read that. Okay, sorry. My brain is functioning on all cylinders, I promise. Um, okay, great. So he's got all these sores all over his body. These terrible things have happened to him. He's sitting uh, in ashes, uh, scraping his body, scraping the sores with broken pottery, okay? So last week, uh, Rob walked us through Job's initial lament, the, the first kind of words that he shares, um, this passionate expression of grief um, in chapter 3. We read through that, and we felt the weight of Job's pain in his lament. And we also heard and felt the weight and pain of Emma, Rob and Leah's daughter, who has suffered and lived through chronic pain for the past decade, and how she has held on to her faith through all of it. So you would think, after these first couple of chapters of Job, that things really couldn't get any worse for the guy, right? He's lost everything. He's got sores from the head to toe. But it doesn't really get better for him, unfortunately. Uh, things don't get easier for him in the, as we continue in the story today. And so uh, chapter 3 is this lament, but right before the, Job kind of expresses this, uh, passionately expresses his grief, uh, we see he has this encounter with his friends. And so that's where we're going to start today. Job chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept and tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was, was very great. So I think it's a first important, note, first important note to make here is that Job has friends. He has friends. These people, like, care about him. So 
seems like there could be a little hope for Job here uh, in his story, uh, but not really. The word friend in the Old Testament, uh, especially in the wisdom literature, Job is one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament, carries more weight. So when that, when that word is used, this is not like Job's Facebook friend or Snapchat buddy, whatever. This, these are like real friends. Proverbs 18 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin. A man of a thousand Facebook friends may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. These, aren't, these really aren't Job's Instagram followers who just liked his most recent video of him scraping his newest body source. They're actually real, true friends. They make an appointment. They go out of their way. These three guys make an appointment. I don't know why you needed to make an appointment, but they made an appointment. They deliberately organized their schedules to all come together to support Job who before they arrive, it seems like he's all alone. It seems like his wife is not there. He's sitting in ashes, scraping himself with his broken pottery by himself. And it probably takes a couple of months. I mean, you think about it back then. They, they, it takes a while for them to even hear the news of what happened, and then it takes a while for them to get together and organize things. You know, there wasn't just a couple texts, and, like, they showed up. It was, like, that was months probably by himself. But they make an appointment, and they show up in order to show him sympathy and to comfort him, it says to show him sympathy, to grieve with him, and to, to comfort him. Uh, and that, there's action kind of associated with that word. It's not just empathy. Empathy is like when, you, empathy can be silent, where you just like, oh, I, you know, I feel for this other person. Um, this is, comfort is that they actually want, you know, they're, they're coming to actually speak words, to be active, in, includes speech. Um, and the, the friends are going to, to speak and try to comfort him. They don't do a very good job of that, um, but they do sure talk a lot, um, which we'll see. So we can expect then from these verses that, uh, just from these verses, that the friends are really there to help. Um, They arrive and they see him from far off and don't even recognize him, probably because the sore is all over his body. So they sit on the ground with Job for seven days and seven nights and nobody talks. Really, in on, on the, on the, on the whole of Job, a lot of times when we think about Job, uh, chapters 4 through 31 are Job's interactions with these friends. And the Job's friends really get a bad rap because for the rest of these chapters, uh, they really are not helpful to Job, as we're going to see. Um, and so there's this uh, progression in the book of Job. Um, one friend speaks, and then Job replies to his, to his little speech. And then the second friend speaks, and Job replies. And then the third friend speaks, and Job replies. And then it happens again. First friend speaks, Job replies. Second friend speaks, Job replies. Third friend speaks, Job replies. Then two friends give a third speech, and Job replies to each one of those. We're not going to read any of it, so you're welcome. But we will, t- we will talk a little bit about that today and, how, and more next week about how unhelpful those speeches are for Job and his suffering. But I think it's important to establish here at the front end that these are really Job's friends. They're not fair-weather friends who have just come to like, receive from Job. Job, like probably wealthy wi- uh, guy who lots of people came to. He probably, uh, you know, those rich people who have friends that just come around to get things, right? He probably had friends like that. These are not those friends, they came back when he doesn't have anything to give them. 
and they sit with him for seven days in silence. But they're trying their best. They're trying their best to be there for Job in this amazingly difficult time for him. They don't talk to him. Maybe they talk to each other. That's not clear. It's possible. It's possible that they did. Um, they could have just thought he was dying. They have all these stories. They don't know. Job doesn't know. Job doesn't know. Job doesn't know that God told Satan you can't kill him. Job does not know that. So if you have sores from the head to toe, my first thought is death. I don't know about you, but that's probably what Job is thinking about. It's probably what his friends are thinking about, especially when they look at him. So seven days, seven nights, they don't talk to him. That has to feel isolating. Then they do start talking to him, and he actually even feels more alone, which we'll see today, that Job is very much alone. And that suffering, suffering does that. Suffering cuts us off from other people. Even when you share a loss with someone you don't share the loss. You don't experience the loss in the same way. So like my grandfather passed away. I don't experience his death like my grandmother experienced his death. Suffering to some degree causes everyone to, to suffer alone. Because no one really uh, totally understands wh- what you're going through. Even if I have a friend whose grandpa also died they're not going to feel the same way that I feel about my grandpa dying. So they see Job's body with the sores all over it, and maybe there's, um, they're, they're really dialed into the sores and the physical pain, but they overlook the spiritual and emotional grief that Job is experiencing. They overlook it. They, they really they miss him. They miss him altogether. They're there, but they're not really there. It's like there's these, these, there, there are three stools set up for them, and they're there, but they're really... They might as well not be there. The stools might as well be empty. And so they start talking and they start giving these speeches and um, Job is feeling more lonely and more isolated as they talk, more so than even when they were there next to him and didn't say anything because they're just absolutely missing Job and where he really is. So after his first friend gives his first speech. Job says, I'm allotted months of emptiness and nights of misery are appointed to me in chapter 7. In chapter 12 of Job, it says, uh, this is the response after all three friends have now given their first speeches. Job says, I am a laughingstock to my friends. I who called to God and he answered me, a just and blameless man, am a laughingstock. Again, Job would have been probably a prestigious person in the community and now he's a laughingstock. Chapter 13, verse 4, is for you, you whitewashed with lies, worthless physicians are you all. He's talking to his friends. They are, they, are not, they are not helping him. And again, after the, the first friend gives his second speech, Job in chapter 16 says, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. They went to comfort him, and they are not, it is not working. It's not going well. My friends, verse 20, my friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God. After his friends have hit him with the second set of speeches, Job is hit with the weight of his aloneness. Chapter 21, he says, how then will you comfort me with empty nothings? But there's nothing left of your answers but falsehood. Then listen to this, chapter 19. Listen to this. 
Job says, he has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife. You can laugh at that. It's okay. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. Random kids in the street don't want to be around him. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I love have turned against me. Job feels completely and utterly alone. Do you feel that? I know you probably don't want to feel that. But I want you to feel that. He is alone. I want you to feel the way this. I'm going to read it again. He has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me when I rise. They talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. He is alone. It's just him, and he knows it. There's nobody else. You feel that? Have you felt this before? You relate to some of these words from Job? His friends are there. They really don't understand what he needs or what's going on inside of him, and they totally miss him and his heart altogether. They can't, they don't really see Job. Today, our focus is on the loneliness that Job experienced in the midst of his suffering, despite the fact that he did have people around him. There's three important characters in Job's loneliness that are important for us to understand and I hope connect with today, okay? And so I have these three stools to kind of represent those three characters. The first is Job, the abandoned one. The second is his friends, those close to the abandoned, and the third is God. So Job, the abandoned one. Job had a tragedy that hit him, and he felt very alone in his suffering. Very alone. Even though these friends, God bless them, are trying their best, but it's not happening. We all feel alone sometimes, right? We all feel lonely. We feel the weight of loneliness. Again, some of these words of Job really can hit us. Hopefully young children don't despise you, but I mean, maybe, sorry, that's true. My intimate friends abhor me. All those who have loved me have turned against me. We don't like to feel alone. We don't like to feel lonely. And so we deny it or we hide it or we try to numb it. And and Job Job is alone because he's he's suffering. He's had had some really amazingly difficult things happen to him. 
And so he's feeling alone in that suffering because no one else is, is experiencing that with him. Maybe your loneliness isn't connected to actual suffering. Maybe your loneliness is your suffering. Maybe you have lost someone that's close to you and you feel alone and that no one understands. Freaking Valentine's Day on Wednesday, I know, I'm sorry. For those of you who are not looking forward to that day, because there isn't no one to celebrate it with. Maybe you're feeling lonely because your friends suck. It's possible. It's possible also that uh, you're lonely and you think your friends suck, but your friends actually don't suck, um, and maybe it's you. (laughs) Just being honest. Just think about that. Maybe you're feeling lonely because you don't feel close to God and you're not sure how to get close to God. Maybe you're feeling lonely in your family. Maybe things are going really poorly with your family or you're the only believer in your family and your parents don't understand this faith that you're trying to live out. We all, I think, can relate to to feelings of loneliness and being alone. My, I, I've been married to my wife, Megan, for 13 years. And uh, this semester, um, the start of the semester, I was really kind of struck um, in my, in, with some loneliness. Uh, just, it was, it, you know, I, you all feel this, I think, a little bit, too. Like, you, you have break, Christmas break, and it's all, it's great. You just literally, like, lay around and do nothing. Um, and then you have to come back to school, and it's, like, totally different than that. Uh, and that's kind of hard to get back into that. And so there's some of that for us, too. We get a little time off, and I don't get to lay around and do nothing. But um, it was a little bit of a break. And it, it was just really hard to kind of get back into the swing of things at, at, our, at home. We homeschool our kids, and um, it was hard to get back into th- the swing of things here. And then the second, I think it was the second week of, no, the first week of, of class just was really hard. Um, there's some, just some heavy things going on uh, here for me, and um, just mi- ministry can be heavy sometimes. And I just had like two or three days in a row that were really hard. And actually, I had a Wednesday and a Thursday that were really hard. And at the end of the day, went Thursday, uh, after a line, I, I, I was hoping to go home and like talk to Megan about some of that. But I got home later than I said I was going to because um, I got into conversations with people. And so she'd already gone to bed. Um, and it probably wouldn't have been worth me sharing at that point anyway, because after like 10:30, yeah, you, don't, you shouldn't probably have like a serious, hard conversation with my wife because it just won't go well. So um, it was probably fine that she was asleep, but I was just really bummed. And then Friday was like a long day too, and so I we get I get home and 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 we get the kids to bed, and then there's finally like space for me to kind of share kind of what has happened over the last three days because I hadn't really had a chance to, like, tell her some of that stuff. And I, it's hard to, like, even share all of that stuff, and I share all of that stuff. And she looks at me, and she says, I'm sorry. It's good. It's a good wifely thing to do. But I realized and felt in that moment that she really does not understand how I'm feeling about all of these things. She doesn't really get it. And I just felt really, really alone. And 
Uh, that's something that she and I talk about and have talked about because she feels similar uh, at times, of course. Surprise, marriage doesn't make you not feel alone. She deals with our kids every day, day in and day out, and they are insane sometimes, like literally insane. <laughs> I thought about like not saying that this, this service because I, I thought, I was like, oh, that's, I need to honor my kids. That's not nice. But literally, I think sometimes they are insane. <laughs> And so she, she struggles and she deals with that day in and day out, and I don't. And, I, and so I don't understand her, and I don't fully grasp or understand her aloneness in, in her job and her role in our family. So I don't know what your story of loneliness is, and I think... Um, it's also important to, to recognize that sometimes we do want to be left alone, and that's okay, too, if you just want to be left alone. Job says several times, uh, chapter 7, I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. How long will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? I don't know what that means, but are you, are not my days few? Again, he's probably thinking he's going to die. Then cease and leave me alone that I may find a little cheer. Solitude sometimes is good and is important for us uh, and is different from loneliness. And that's good and that is important. But I, I don't know. I think you understand what I mean when I talk about being alone and being lonely. So I, it's, I think it's important for us to understand and connect to Job's character and his loneliness. I think it's also important for us to understand and connect to Job's friends and their position that they're in. So they're next to Job, uh, but... They're close to the person who's been abandoned, who feels lonely and lost and alone. But they're not very helpful at comforting him. Genesis 2, God created Adam. And pretty shortly after that, after observing Adam for a bit, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And I know we, we, it gets, that gets quoted a lot at weddings. It's like, oh, it's a beautiful thing. He makes this helper that is suitable for him. And, um, and yes, that is true. But I think the phrase, it is not good for man to be alone, is not the same as it is not good for a man to be without a spouse. It's not the same. It's simply not good for man to be alone. He has created us and he has designed us to live our lives with other people. Otherwise, you wouldn't care if you were alone, right? <laughs> it is, we, it, we are hardwired to, to live with and be with other people. So Job has these friends, thankfully. He has these friends here that are trying to help him, but they're not very helpful. They make arguments about how to help him fix kind of his problem that he's found himself in, and it's just a source of frustration. And actually, next week we'll talk a little bit about this, but actually the, the friends even kind of play into the Satan's hand, and what Satan is trying to do with Job is to get him to turn away from God. And the friends even kind of encourage that at times. They just miss. They totally don't see what's really going on with Job. They hear Job's words, but they miss his heart. There's a book called Loneliness, Human Nature and the Need for Social Connection. 
Um, and in it, the authors write, uh, what makes loneliness especially insidious is that it contains this catch-22. Real relief from loneliness requires the cooperation of at least one other person. And yet, the more chronic our loneliness becomes, the less equipped we may be to entice such cooperation. When the unpleasant state is loneliness, the best way to get relief is to form a connection with someone else. Each of the individuals involved must be willing to connect, must be free to do so, and must agree to, to more or less the same timetable. So that makes sense, right? If you're lonely, a good solution for that is um, to find someone else to talk to about that, uh, to help relieve that. But if you're lonely, uh, sometimes people don't want to be around you. And so there has to be agreement on the per- other person to like, want to be around you. So frustration, the, the author goes on, Frustration with the difficulty imposed by these terms can trigger hostility, depression, despair, impaired skills, and social perception, as well as a sense of diminished personal control. This is when failures of self-regulation combined with the desire to make pain, to mask pain with whatever pleasure is readily available can lead to unwise sexual encounters, too much to drink, or a sticky spoon, or a sticky spoon in the bottom of an empty quart of ice cream. Once this negative feedback loop starts rumbling through our lives, others may start to view us as less favorable because of our self-protective, sometimes distant, sometimes caustic behavior. Then it, and this, in turn, then merely reinforces our pessimistic social expectations. It's a lot of words. But we need other people, but we have to be willing to, the other people have to be willing to be with us. Job, in Job uh, chapter 6, he says, he who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. That's Job 6, 14. He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. The New Testament talks a lot about how we are to treat one another. Lots of verses about that. Romans 12, it says, For each for at, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not ha- all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We are connected. We belong to, all, to each other in the body of Christ. And then it goes on in verse 9, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep, other translation says. We all probably know people who are feeling alone. And our love that we have for others in Christ is completely generous with our emotions. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. We need, to, we need to be generous with our emotions with others. But it's hard to want to engage with someone who is lonely. It's difficult. We don't understand. We don't know what to say. We don't want to be trite or belittle their situation. So it's easier for us to just kind of disengage. Rick actually preached on, on this in the fall, and he talked about rejoicing and weeping with others. And um, he says, these are, two, these are two crucial emotions, he said. And many of us have come to a time when we need to seek out other members of God's church to intentionally help us grow in these things. And you won't be able to rejoice or weep when you haven't learned to connect with these realities in your own story. You can't rejoice with someone and weep with someone if you can't rejoice and weep over your own stuff. 
And the more you become aware of these in your own life and how they connect to growing in God's love for you and his story for your life, the more coherently you will be able to do this for others and with others. And he talked about rejoicing and weeping are not the same as fixing. I think that's part of the problem with Job's friends is they're trying to fix Job. And that's really not what he needs. (laughs) He needed them to... He needed them to meet him where he is without fixing them. But that's hard for us to do because it's, it's way easier to just like, like their Instagram picture for the day because you know that'll make them feel good, but you don't actually have to talk to them about how their day is going. It's hard. You don't know what to say. And there's no formula what to say. I can't tell you what you need to say and how to be with people. The point is, being generous emotionally with others, I think, is, is Paul's point. We have to let others love us emotionally as well, which will increase our ability to do the same. He says, real love, Rick said this, real love is completely generous. It is open-handed and open-hearted toward others. We share our homes, our possessions, our time, and emotions with those who need, a, who need them. To love genuinely is to live compassionately toward others in the way that Jesus himself has already treated us. So we need to be emotionally generous to the people around us, especially those who are lonely. The, the reality is that we don't want to feel lonely, and we don't want to have to be with lonely people. What Job encourages us to do is to enter into those feelings and situations and see where God fits into all that. And that leads us to our, our third person, and I really don't think I should sit in the chair for this one. God is the third character in Job's story that I think is important for us to understand his role in all of this and, and his role in our loneliness. And God is the abandoned one and the friend to the abandoned. He's both. Job and Job's friends. First, God created us in his own image. He knows us. Psalm 139 is a famous psalm that gets read a lot, but it is true and it's important for us to remember how much God knows us. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in before and behind and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me to attain. For you formed my inward parts. You, can't, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your body. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were, found, were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows us. He created us. He knows us inside and out. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But he doesn't just know us because he made us. He actually knows us because he, came, because he became one of us. He was us. Jesus came to earth fully God and fully man. 
And if you think that you're lonely, think about Jesus. Jesus is the only one to ever have walked this earth to be fully God and fully man. By definition, lonely, alone. If that wasn't enough, the things that he said made people mad. And the things that he said that that didn't make people mad uh, and drew people to him, they misunderstood him. The disciples leave him at times. Jesus was alone. Again, (laughs) he he has to have been the loneliest person ever to to live on the earth. I was struck by that this morning, even just saying in the first service, like, no one can understand him (laughs) and how he's feeling, except the Father. On the cross, which is the whole reason he came to earth, he lived his life, he showed us how to live our life after him, and then he went to the cross and he died. And when he's on the cross, the weight of all of our sin, past, present, and future, on his shoulders, before he dies, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father had to forsake him. The sin of the entire world was on him. God could not be near that. He had to forsake him. You may feel forsaken. Jesus was forsaken. Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to feel alone. But he went to the cross and he died and he conquered death and rose again three days later so that we would never have to be forsaken. That we would never have to be alone. You are not alone. You aren't. You are not alone. Jesus, when he left his disciples, he he rose from the dead. The end of Matthew, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you're a follower of Jesus, God's spirit is in you. Jesus Jesus said uh, in John, I'm leaving. It is better for me to leave so the spirit can come and be with you. It is better for me to go so I can be with you all the time. Jesus just walking on the earth could be one place at one time. He can be with all of us all of the time now because of his spirit in us. Those of you that have not made a decision to follow Jesus, those of you who have not experienced his love and life-changing grace, he is ready to walk this life with you if you would walk with him. God is, is with you. You are not alone. You are not alone. Kara Baker wrote this article in, the Re- in Relevant, on, uh, Relevant Magazine. It's actually like a 15-year-old article, um, and the, the article opens this conversation about um, 
this technology at the time that people could uh, instant message a computer, that you could like write messages and it would respond to you based on kind of your questions and, uh, you know, now we have Siri, so who needs that? But like, that was like a thing back then. Um, now Siri knows everything you want. Alexa knows everything you want. You can just have a conversation with him, with her, um, with any of them. Uh, but uh, that, that, that's kind of lonely, right? And she was just kind of lamenting the fact that people would spend hours like talking, IMing this computer, to see what the responses would be. And she says, somehow it has come to be taught that as Christians we should never feel lonely. And when we, be, when we became believers, that the God-shaped hole is automatically filled. When we find ourselves lonely, we begin to worry. Maybe we don't have enough faith. Maybe we aren't content enough. We think maybe if only I dot, 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 and we do things to camouflage the loneliness. We get married. We pray more. We read more scripture, we have children, we move, we find new friends, we switch churches. It doesn't, it doesn't fix anything. We're, we're becoming lonelier, and we don't know how to deal with it. Those times when we feel loneliest, when we feel loneliness the strongest, God is calling to us the clearest. Read that again. The times when we feel lonely, loneliness the strongest, God is calling to us the clearest. Loneliness is a God-given urging to be with him, to talk to him and to be in relationship with him. We're so used to filling the void of our lives with everything but the one source that truly speaks to our needs, the one who created the void for the sole purpose of awakening us to the need for him. Jesus walked this earth and was alone. And he had people around him, but he he wasn't alone (laughs) because his father was with him. He talked a lot about the fact that everything I see my father doing, I do. The human standards, he was alone, but he wasn't alone. (laughs) And he came here for the sole purpose of dying for us suffering on the cross so that we would not have to be alone. Every week we take communion. If you're passing communion and want to go get that ready, you can go do that. We take communion. We remember um, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed so that we would not be forsaken. He was forsaken, so we would not be forsaken. And we have not been forsaken. God is with us. You are not alone. So they're going to pass the emblems, the bread and the cup, and they symbolize Christ's body that was broken and his blood that was shed for you. And so um, if you're a believer, we invite you to take those and remember that sacrifice that has allowed you partner for life. If you are not a believer, we ask you to just let the emblems pass and consider, would you think about, would you consider Jesus? Would you just ask him? He, he is ready to be with you. Would you ask him to be with you? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for um, 
for your son and that um, you are with us. And we know that you're with us because of Jesus. That you came to walk this earth with us uh, and then you died so that we could have your spirit in us who is always with us. Thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus, on the cross. We remember, we take, we eat, and we drink, and remember that sacrifice, and, and are thankful and are grateful that we have not been forsaken because you were.